Hello, David Seaman. Thank you for joining me. The Epstein story has taken off again due to Ghislaine Maxwell's recent capture. In doing some research, I came across your site, Fulcrum News. Do you think the recent capture of Maxwell is a story meant to distract us from other issues going on right now? I find it hard to believe that it was difficult to find her. What do you think? Uh, I don't know if it's meant to distract us, but I think anybody who's hanging their hat on Ghislaine Maxwell bringing down this ring of people and whatever they were up to is uh, very unlikely. You know, if they, if they could get to Jeffrey Epstein, they can certainly get to her. Mm -hmm. And uh, from what I read, the, the FBI had followed her for a while in New Hampshire mm -hmm. and knew that she was holed up somewhere in a, a house there. And so, you know, it opens a lot of questions, like why they let her remain free for that long when she's had plenty of time to consult with lawyers and cover up, you know, everything. And so uh, not so much a distraction as uh, it's not enough. So, yeah, I think what they do with these narratives often in the mainstream media is create this sort of lone wolf scenario. Uh, as, if, as if these people are, right, like solely responsible for these sorts of scenarios, yeah. Um, and so I think they do this with Epstein or Maxwell to sort of distract us. There's lots of strange coverage going on with this story. Um, so you seem to go, what do you think about that idea, this like lone wolf sort of, we'll pin it on one guy. And what do you think justice would look like for the victims of Epstein and Maxwell? Obviously, it's a larger network than, you know, many of the mainstream outlets want to let on. Yeah, I think at a minimum, the victims need to get access to uh, his assets. Mm -hmm. And I understand there's already been some kind of payout fund established. And certainly they need to chop up what's left of his money instead of his adult brother and uh, relatives getting the money, you know, about half a billion dollars or more, I understand. Uh, that half billion should be split up amongst his victims. And beyond that, you know, it'd be great to see these, these, uh, these victims of Epstein's be booked on a national mainstream show. Mm -hmm. And it's quite telling that hasn't happened yet. It's quite extraordinary, actually, that these people have been completely shunned and pushed to the sidelines instead of being you know, chased after by ABC News and by the Today Show and everybody else. You'd think they would want the exclusive. Instead, this, this entangles, I think, so many people. They just don't want anything to do with it. It's really incredible. So did you listen to Maria Farmer's conversation with Whitney Webb? No, I did not. Uh, well, she, you were mentioning the FBI earlier, and uh, Farmer uh, constantly talks about how how much they really just did not care and they did not want to listen to her story. What do you think of her assertions about the FBI and their lack of interest? Well, uh, again, I'm not familiar with what she said about the FBI, mm -hmm. but uh, my understanding, and I may be wrong, is that Epstein was actually an FBI informant during mm -hmm. the Coney years. Right. And so if that's true, it's completely shameful. And it explains the sluggish response. You know, he was giving them intelligence of some kind, uh, dirt on people. Right. And so why would they want to bring him down when he's working with them? And so what I've said about the FBI is that it's a completely amoral organization, mm -hmm. that it's interested in power and control. And so in Epstein, they saw, you know, another, another way to get intel. And they didn't care about the, uh, the fact that the guy's a child trafficker. 
Right, because it's been going on for a really long time since at least, according to Webb's reporting, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, you know, participated in these sort of uh, sex pot kind of schemes to get dirt on whoever it is they wanted to manipulate or control. So I was listening to some of your your other um, interviews, and you were talking about the practice of the occult, and you said the practice of the occult is just an excuse in this particular interview that I found. But what do you think they were doing on Orgy Island? Uh, what do you think of the cube and the sundial structures and uh, some of the items that were shipped to the island as well? Uh, sure. Bunch of great questions. Uh, well, what happened is the the Intercept, which is an investigative outlet that is funded by one of the founders of eBay, mm -hmm. and uh, they went through the maritime freight logs, uh, showing what was shipped to the island by ship, basically, mm -hmm. and uh, it included dental chairs, like 550 pound dental chairs. And the prevailing theory that I've heard, anyways, is that the children were strapped down. Right. And in some cases, tortured. And uh, I think probably a lot of that went on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get into a really dark topic of, of adrenochrome extraction. Mm -hmm. And the way that it's been explained to me, pretty much, is that the modern world is like an Aztec civilization almost. So the Aztecs were big on human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And just everybody in the Aztec world knew it. You know, your, your goal in part was just not to be one of the people grabbed by the priests and, you know, walked up to the top of one of the pyramids to be sacrificed. And so they knew it. And for whatever reason in the modern world, uh, a number of people practice the same stuff and get the same kind of benefits from the adrenochrome in terms of uh, improved problem-solving ability and stuff. To think that these people are dumb. Uh, not always, because it, again, leads to memory and cognitive enhancement. That's the claim anyways. And so it's a, a dark secret of the West. Uh, kind of like there are certain topics that are totally taboo or a taboo in Asia because it upsets, you know, the Chinese government. In the same way, the topic you can't talk about the West is the topic we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what happened is they kind of inverted they inverted what they were doing. Instead of it being the most open thing, as it was in Aztec times, it's now the most secretive thing. And 99% of people have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's fine. You know, the elite realized there'd be no resistance to something if people just didn't know what was going on. And you look at the jump in technology from, you know, crystal radios in the 1930s that could barely, barely tune in to like an AM station to right now with, a high-speed computer in your pocket that can read your face. You can actually read your face to unlock your phone. Uh, and you look at how fast that happened. Part of it has to be attributed to uh, psychedelic drug use mm -hmm. in, Sil in Silicon Valley. Right. And I think part of it is the abuse of children. And mm -hmm. in much the same way that, in much the same way that, you know, like a, a pothead or something would be more interested in outdoor grown stuff instead of something grown in a basement for these people who have all the money in the world and can do things uh, either in international waters or on an island somewhere uh, for them it's like they want the best best source stuff they want it from the best vineyard so to speak 
Right. And it's it's just so far outside of what most people think is happening on the planet that a lot of people don't accept it. But I think now with so many people talking about this stuff, that if you take a more mainstream view, it's like, what were they doing with children on the yeah, island? What were Why they were doing? they all these occult yeah. things like the temple mm-hmm. and like the sundial? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, worship, worship of the sun is very tied in with human sacrifices. Yeah, not, a lot not of Moloch. I think a lot of Moloch worship, maybe, but that's uh, a personal opinion. So, speaking of skeptics, uh, why do you think there aren't more Pizzagate victims coming forward? Well, uh, a lot of the victims are children, mm-hmm. and from what we know about who Epstein was targeting, they come from places like France, and uh, tend to be like basically orphans and stuff. Right. So they'll, they'll come from France, or in many cases from Asia, where the paperwork, right. where the paper trail is even less, it's non-existent. And they have it down to a, uh, uh, in the same way that a coffee shop is very efficient. You say, hey, where, where do all the coffee grinds go? Right. If they're so if they're so busy, why don't I see piles of coffee grinds everywhere? Well, they figured it out. They have a good system in place. And this has been going on for so long that, especially when you're in international waters on a yacht, or when you're on an island that you literally own, you can dispose of the remains. Yeah. And. Uh, I think that's what they've been doing. So in terms of where are the victims, a lot of these people are actually, a lot of these children are actually killed. Yes. So there's nobody to speak. I think you're probably right. So another skeptical question is, could the emails be code for something other than trafficking? Um, And why do you think walnut sauce is particularly interesting? Sure. Uh, The code code in the emails could be anything. Right. It's just that through a process of deduction, everything else has been eventually excluded and every other explanation doesn't make sense. And in light of the fact that the people whose emails these are have spent four years battling against people discussing it and yet have not, not rolled out any kind of explanation that makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, leads me to believe that it is a discussion of child trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I remember early on, walnut sauce was said to be a, a term that denotes the race, the victim. Yeah, I heard that, that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that was either a misinterpretation or intentional disinfo, because it's very much an elite term for adrenochrome. And uh, uh, for when you go through the the Podesta emails, it's mm-hmm. clearly code language for something, because it's not logical that Tony Podesta, an adult man, would be asking his brother, "Can you send the walnut sauce recipe?" Because you would think an Italian family, once these guys are in these in their 60s, right, the brothers were in their 60s, down in their 70s, uh, you would think that he would know it by heart. You would, right. You know, I've been I've been Italy before, and, and people take their food seriously, I and he would know that that mm-hmm. recipe by heart. And then I was in Colorado, at this huge uh, culinary spice outlet with a friend of mine who's big, at, really big into cooking. And we asked the people who worked there, do you have any walnut sauce? And they had no idea what we were talking about. And this is a place that, you know, like Gordon Ramsay level chefs mm-hmm. come by come by to pick up obscure spices. They had no idea what we were talking about. And so I don't think it's a common term. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think so it's either. a common part of cuisine. And to pop up like 49 times in emails right. uh, was interesting. So do you think the art world is a front for human trafficking? I think the it's re- absolutely a front for for laundering money. Mm-hmm. And I think these transactions represent 
in some cases, absolutely, they represent, you know, the sale of, of sex slaves and minors and, and right. God knows what else. Because, and the fact that you have no clarity. You have no clarity. You just see big transaction amounts. And you know that the art is basically junk. Right. Right. The irrelevancy of this art is very interesting to me because it seems to be very grotesque. And I can't imagine why it would be so popular. I mean, these people are obviously selling this art. The Podestas had a lot of ties to big names in art. Heather and Tony Podesta seem like sadists and used their art to psychologically torture guests in their home. Uh, from a Washington Post article, they were horrified, Heather recalls, a grin spreading across her face. Uh, when talking about Katie Grannon's art, which is mostly of topless teen girls in their bedrooms, you know, so she's, she's referencing this, this kind of like very uh, suggestive art, to put it nicely, I suppose. Um, from the same piece, Heather recalls Tony remarking, I don't know why it is, but I have artworks where the women have no heads, right? So, and, and the next day she gave him a note, they were married, so they really seem like they were meant for each other, they uh, are sadists, they are victimizers, feeding off the victim's art, or spreading fear through their collection with that Louise Bourgeois, I don't know how to say her last name, but that arch of hysteria, that thing that looks like Jeffrey Dahmer's victim. Um, right. So they have this vampiric need to thrive off of the pain of the others, I think. Uh, and you have various artists like Kim Noble, whose works depict girls in cages, Anna Gaskell, a lot of Alice in Wonderland imagery related to... I think all of these women actually are probably victims of NK Ultra. Obviously, I don't have any evidence of that, but... All of their work seems to depict trauma, um, and so they all seem to be communicating trauma. The Podestas seem to be really into collecting this trauma and inflicting it on others, like their guests in their home. Uh, so why do you think the Podestas would funnel such energy into collecting and popularizing this kind of art? Yeah, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I think it was to show off their level of power mm -hmm. and the topless... The uh, photos of the topless teen girls that were hanging in the Podesta house that you mentioned. Yeah. It's not just that that was, that was art, according to them. It's that those, those were children whom the Podestas actually knew, who were in many cases the children of people that the Podestas did business with. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you learn more about these cults, as I'm sure many of your listeners already know more than I do, essentially, uh, they, they pretty much loaned their kids out to other members of the cult. Right. to abuse. And it's a desensitization process, so they loan them out to be abused for that reason. And it's also, uh, I can't even begin to explain it really, it's just like a group blackmail kind of thing. Yes. Um, the Podestas and many other elites take part in spirit cooking dinners held by Marina Abramovic. Uh, Microsoft also recently pulled an ad featuring the Black Witch of the Elite. Uh, what do you think of the connection with, uh, well, I think there's a connection between what I call Satanism or, or general occultism, I suppose. Satanism, transhumanism, and technocracy. What do you think the connection is there? Why do they all seem to be involved in such sadistic practices? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, with Marina Abramovic, Microsoft chose to promote and to align with uh, and then, you know, again, promote right on their YouTube channel. 
somebody who is a known occultist and somebody whose public works, public art is vulgar, at a minimum vulgar mm -hmm. and not mainstream at all, not mm -hmm. even remotely mainstream and not inspirational <laughs> and not co not colorful. In many cases, it's dark and either just red or black and white. Yes. And so for a major Fortune 500 company to say, this is the kind of artist we want to align with, and these, these social justice times is completely incomprehensible to me, mm -hmm. unless there's more at work, unless Microsoft has some kind of allegiance to this woman or what she believes in. Because again, she's not, she's not controversy free, and it's an ugly, ugly thing to associate yourself with. Yeah, what do you make of the rise of imagery of cannibalism in popular culture? It seems John Podesta has said of the cannibalistic painting in his office, it's better to be the guy with the fork than the guy on the table. So why do you think they're desensitizing us to such graphic displays of sadism? Well, they need to, uh, they need to hide it in plain sight. And this is an ideological thing mm -hmm. where they don't feel like they'll be hit with as much karma, basically. And I'm just, you know, giving you my opinion, but they feel like they can dodge the karma from doing horrible things if they tell you about it mm -hmm. and if you just choose to be ignorant. So they've been so blatant about this stuff through the artwork and through everything else and through the, you know, the symbolism and music videos and all that. Mm -hmm. And the jokes, the jokes on Twitter that A-list actors have made about doing disgusting things to children. Uh, and it's all hidden in plain sight so they can say, to themselves at least, if only there were one honest journalist of the whole ethnic country, or only one <laughs> honest senator, or one honest top person at DHS, we'd be in jail tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they do it, is, is they're giving you like an out. You know what I mean? It's like if there were just one person in a position of authority who found this disgusting, it'd be over in a short amount of time because they've exposed themselves so thoroughly. And so that's just the part of how they do things. And then I'm sure it's also intimidation. And it's also the things that you're saying. They're trying to keep victims silent who are still alive. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it's incredibly dark stuff, but it's, it's real and it's everywhere. And it the fact that the New York yes. Times... So the New York Times, four years after this came out, just last month, uh, came out with an article criticizing it again, criticizing people who believe mm -hmm. in the scandal, whatever you want to call it, and blaming the resurgence on it, uh, sorry, blaming the resurgence of it on TikTok teens. They've created, sorry to go off on a quick little rant No here, worries. But it's like, they've created a new boogeyman. Back in 2016, it was the alt-right memester. This right. person, for the most part, didn't really exist, but some alt-right meme creator who sits on the internet all day just trolling people, that's what they blamed Pizzagate on the first time around. Mm -hmm. And they're saying it's popping up again thanks to the TikTok teens. <laughs> and they've created this elusive person who's an all-powerful teen, like a social media Gandalf, who can reach <laughs> you know, 20 million, 20 million young people in 15 seconds. And that person largely doesn't exist. It's just that they never answered any of these questions. And now the people who were young before were 16 are now 20 or 21. And they're saying, hey, what the, what is all this stuff? Right. <laughs> well, they don't, also, they're quite young, so they don't remember all of the other times this has happened <laughs> throughout the United States' sort of recent history. Lots of scandals involving children and uh, satanic ritual abuse. Um so, oh, the Boys Town, Boys Town scandal was Pizzagate 1.0, mm -hmm. and because there was no internet, 
they just did a couple of segments on, you know, the weekend shows saying this is all hysteria, and it went away. Right. Well, what do you think of, you know, the normalization of pedophilia via things like drag kids or, you know, child beauty pageants in the United States? That's a big question. I do think there's yeah. a broader agenda. I, <laughs> so I don't do think I. I these, also think so, yes. This, it's not just like there were child trafficking rings so that some emails came out, mm-hmm. and now they've, now they've been partially exposed. It's right. that the most powerful people in the world uh, want, want this to be something that's more accepted than this. And so there's an agenda that goes in hand with, uh, with what may be happening secretly. And when I say maybe, you know, we have every reason to believe that this stuff is happening. Yeah, and I so agree. The, the question you asked is, I think, the best question. Why aren't there more victims? And it's like in the case of Epstein, 17 or 20 victims have come forward. So it's not a lack of victims. It's a lack of media coverage and a lack of anybody in the Senate or Congress really caring about these people at all. Right. I feel like they're all working together. I mean, I feel like the game has been rigged for a very long time. So, and we have a couple minutes left. Uh, You were an early guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. What do you think about Joe Rogan and the direction of his podcast now? I mean, I I honestly don't listen to it that often, but it's gone in a more mainstream direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know he got $100 million from Spotify to go exclusive, I think, at the end of the year. And uh, I think, you know... That shows you that even somebody like him who's mainstream, they want him off the radar. And by giving him a hundred million bucks and putting him on an app instead of him being on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and everywhere, it's like them buying his silence. You know, because it's like Howard Stern took a lot of money to go to Sirius XM. And I don't remember the last time that anybody brought his name up right. in any conversation. Like he took a lot of money, but it's no longer relevant, aside from to his hardcore fans. And it's like, because Rogan is not completely owned, and sometimes just just says whatever's on his mind, yeah. they, can't, they can't allow that. And by no means do I think he's like the best truther out there, or even a truther at this point. I yeah. think he's a mainstream guy. But it's yeah. like, anybody who's not completely controlled, they don't want to reach millions of people. Hmm. I just wonder why what would motivate him to do that. Sometimes I think that Joe Rogan, with his involvement uh, with Duncan Trussell, I feel like they're sort of into the occult, um, but I don't have any confirmation on that. And so to me, it sort of seems like controlled opposition. Um, you know, I'm not really so sure. You know, obviously, he, I mean, he just built this huge empire, and I'm not sure why he would sell out like that it just seems sort of like a slap in the face to his fans who you know sort of built him up to be I'm not a huge fan of Joe Rogan with that caveat like I want you to know but it's just strange to me that he would take that deal well he's he's done a lot of things that I disagree with you know he personally this is about two years ago he personally emailed me and asked me what I knew about Pizzagate and then chose at first not to talk about it at all and uh, then chose to contradict what Alex Jones was saying, which is the exact same stuff that I, I had said was going on. Mm-hmm. And he, he chose to mock it as if, as if Alex had gone off the deep end. And just by his silence alone, you know, what did the social justice warriors say? Silence is violence. Well, he, could have blown, <laughs> he could have blown this out of the water and he chose not to. And yeah. so there's a, lot, there's a lot of stuff I disagree with uh, Rogan on. But again, I don't watch the show anymore, so I can't right. tell you 
much about his direction. And I think it's kind of sad that, you know, people wouldn't do their own research, you know, do the due diligence, like look into what's going on. You know, there's lots of other stuff going on. Obviously, you know, a bunch of CEOs stepped down right before this virus. If you listen to my podcast, the Fulcrum podcast, yeah, it's like... I have. The view that we take is that it's a, a controlled collapse. And yeah. so they've taken a bad new flu strain, basically, and have reprioritized it to now it's like issue number one, and it's destroying the economies all over the world. Yes. And so... You combine that with suddenly all these CEOs are outed as being pedophores and stuff, which I think is coming, mm -hmm. then it, you just have the, the grounds for people rejecting everything, you know? Yeah, and part of that event that they were doing their sort of simulation was how do we combat fake news? Sorry to cut you off, but yeah. what's, kind of what's kind of frightening before I head out yeah. is that uh, Congress, I believe, has just asked the FBI to basically compile a report on disinformation actors ahead of the election. Mm -hmm. And when they say when they say disinformation, what they're talking about is Pizzagate. That yeah. is literally the scandal they're talking about, is they want to market this as being some kind of Russian disinfo that's left over from the last election, even though the emails, the Podesta emails, have nothing to do with Russia. There's literally zero connection to Russia. These are American child traffickers right. and globalists. And it has not a thing to do with Russia. And so they're trying to make it sound like it's it's weaponized disinfo, and, and it's disgusting. It shows you where Congress's heart is at, you know. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, it's been really nice to talk with you. Thank you for making some time to speak with me. Of course. Thank you for uh, covering these topics. Have a good rest of your evening.